Hi everyone, it's Britt, the Petite Polymath, and today we're going to go off of the beaten path of fiction to nonfiction, a memoir, Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger by Lisa Donovan. Get excited! So, those of you who know, or I think I mentioned that I moved to Nashville, um, this is not my first rodeo here. I came here 20 years ago to go to college at Vanderbilt, and then I was here for eight years doing college and medical school, and then I left for 12 years and have returned. And the city is very much not the city that I came to in 2001. Um, you know, we are rapidly approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I was a freshman that year. Um, so, yes, it is very interesting to be back in a place, well, the first place I lived, on my own, and kind of, you know, entered adulthood. Although I really kind of feel like I grew up when I left the South and went to the East Coast. But at any rate, um, it's, it's interesting to be back. Uh, I've always loved Nashville, um, even when I left. I think it's the only place that I cried when I drove away uh, in 2009 to Philly to be an intern. Um, and I have made it every year, pretty much, with the exception of a couple of years where I couldn't come back because I still had really good friends here. And I always have said that every good thing in my life seems to come back to the city. Uh, so it is um, not lost upon me that I'm back living here, which was not part of my plan. But, you know, um, other people have plans that you sometimes find yourself being a part of, so here we are. At any rate, as I've said, and I can't say that phrase anymore, I've already said it twice, and I think we haven't even been talking for five minutes. I went to Parnassus Books on Saturday and bought five books, which was a, why did I do this? Because that's just what I do. I don't, I'm not even living in my permanent residence yet, so I don't need to be buying books, but I bought books and I've read two of the five so far. Uh, one of them, was one of them fiction? I can't even, one of them was fiction, which I will talk about at another time, uh, Whereabouts by Jhumpa Lahiri, uh, but I would like to have that in its Italian form for practice. But this one is not fiction, which I told you at the beginning, uh, and how I even happened upon it, I think I'd heard about it on NPR, or someone was reading it, and I saw it on Instagram, and I had made a note to get around to buying it, and I just didn't. But I think it found me at the perfect time. So I'm putting this out here for posterity because I hope to meet Lisa Donovan since I'm here. Oh my goodness. One, I love food. Two, I'm a southerner. Three, I'm a woman. It's just so many things. Her voice is so clear and her writing is so lush and beautiful and just you just can like sink your teeth into it. So Lisa Donovan is a chef, and um, she tells her story. A Southern woman um, who grew up kind of as a military brat and then spent her, I think the beginning or the end of her adolescence in, uh, I wanna say Florida, Niceville I think was the name of the town kind of down 
and the Gulf Coast, uh, and you know we're talking working class family, uh, father Appalachian descent, mother half Mexican indigenous, um, father on her mother's side from my hometown, Tupelo. The curious person in me is really intrigued by this and I wonder what his surname was because that town's small and I just am curious. Uh, but that is kind of a, a bit of a place of shame for her and her brother for some time and something that no one really talks about until she kind of gets older. Uh, and she just paints the picture of what it's like to honestly take the situations that come up in life, have the hope of something better, and really just kind of move with the curveballs of what life hands you and take responsibility for that and make something beautiful out of things that could have stopped most people. Uh, I didn't know a lot about her before, I'm a very avid, you know, like chef's table watcher, uh, and I keep up with restaurants. So the fact that she, you know, kind of cut her teeth at Margot um, and City House were interesting to me because I went to Margot, what year was that? 2007, I believe, on a date for my birthday, my 25th birthday. It's the one time I went to Margot. Uh, I haven't been back, but I wanted to go back now that I'm back in the city and I'm not a medical student, so I could afford to go to, go to Margot uh, and pay for it myself. Um, the fact that she was a bartender uh, slash, you know, waited tables at Jackson's, which is a place that I went many times um, as a undergrad and medical student. I just feel like our lives were a little bit in proximity to each other just because, I, I mean, I don't ever forget a face. It's quite possible that I passed her at some point in those early 20 teens um, or 2000s. And so then for her to be pastry chef at Husk, Sean Brock's um, restaurant that he opened in Charleston and then opened a um, location here in Nashville, which if I'm correct, he's no longer a part of, but I've happened upon Sean Brock because of Chef's Table and this idea of kind of, of rootedness in Southern cuisine. It's just, it's so timely. I'm so glad I read this book. I have so enjoyed it. I just, it reminds me of High on, High on the Hog in many ways too, because Lisa doesn't, doesn't mince words. She leans into the inequities of the, of the food business, if you will and the misogyny and the racism that is there, the being taken advantage of because you're a woman, the, the very constant need to prove oneself, the idea that you should just be happy to be there, but that your value, you aren't given what you're due, and, and that your value isn't something people see until you've walked out the door. Um, really resonated with me. Maybe also because we're in a weird place right now, and I was just talking with someone about this. Healthcare reminds me of this with, with the kind of the food, you know, restaurateur business. Um, this idea of just being taken for granted. 
and being at the mercy of suits who just want to make more money and could care less about a craft or care less about compassion or care less about people's well-being. They just want to line their pockets and they will use you um, as much as they can, use you up, you're expendable, to be, you know, chewed up and spit out whenever they're tired or whenever you've given up. And that idea that women often, and people of color, are taken advantage in this way and then the things that they contribute are commodified and stolen from them. You know, the idea of what is Southern cuisine. Uh, you know, you wa if you've watched High on the Hog, you know that, you know, a lot of the, of the cookbooks of the first ladies, these women didn't, didn't make anything. Their slaves were the ones that innovated and created. And then they had the audacity to take that intellectual property and not give any homage to the people who made it, but put their own name on it when they've done nothing. They contributed nothing. And the whitewashing of cuisine in America, <laughs> the whitewashing of music in America, um, the erasure of people who have put blood and sweat and tears into things, it's just astounding. And I know my heart broke a few times throughout Lisa's memoir, but I am so impressed and proud of how she rose above and took, she took responsibility for the decisions that she made. She put her family first um, as best as she could. She, she hustled. Um, I am so excited that she has done what she's done and has gotten the due that she has gotten because it's so well-deserved. And she is someone that I would love to meet um, in my time in the city, and I hope that that happens and that this um, episode uh, gets to be the sort of thing where I'm like, oh, I mentioned you in my podcast. Um, so, you know, time will tell. Uh, there are a couple of very pertinent quotes that I would like to read here. So let me go find them. Okay, so I found my two quotes, but first I want to give you some themes. First theme uh, eradicating shame for being Southern, despite its complexity, because it is a complex identity. I'm a black Southern woman, at least halfway Southern, right? Like my mother is from the West Indies, but my father, born and raised Mississippi, I grew up Tupelo, Mississippi, birth to year 18, and you know, you couldn't pay me to move back for a host of reasons. Uh, but I'm also in Tennessee now, and I lived in Texas, and I lived in the Northeast for 12 years, but there is something about the South, despite its frustrations, that feels like home. And there is this sense of pride and there is this sense of richness, despite a lot of pain. Um, and so that's a theme, is that. Second, womanhood and the legacies of trauma and sacrifice that women pass down from grandmother to mother to daughter, uh, which, you know, is something that I think a lot about. I'm single, I don't have any kids. Uh, so, you know, when I'm reading about the sacrifices women make as wives and moms, particularly in the mother department, you know, um, there's a lot of judgment about what it means to be a good mother and if you aren't 
a mother, then there's also judgment, <laughs> yet, yet you're critiqued for all the ways that you don't do things correctly. And in the current state of the world, you know, where we have this whole bit about abortion in Texas, um, it's, very, it's a very interesting place to be because women cannot seem to win for losing. Whether, uh, whether they decide to go the route of having a child that's not planned, whether they can afford it or not, or they have the support of, the, of their partner that contributed to that child or not, or there was violence enacted on their body or not, they get no space to process any of that without a lot of judgment and a lot of people having lots of opinions about what they should be doing. And I think that Donovan does a really, really good job of giving you a picture of what that looks like and all of the options that can be decided in a situation like that, of what to do with an unplanned pregnancy, of when uh, you are called to make, to make a very you know, life-altering decision about your future and the future of, of your children, uh, whether they, you know, um, are born or not, how to lean into that, um, and, and how those decisions are fraught with, with a lot of complexity as well, and how we could be better stewards of each other, um, supporting and upholding looking out for each other when life, you know, for lack of a better word, pummels um, some of us. So she's talking about being taken advantage of and how she tries to, um, to just kind of wait for her time, right? So I, I'm going to read a bit here. Javier didn't know any of this. Costa Rica wasn't full of broken chefs, all trying to simultaneously survive and outdo one another, building worlds for themselves that were heavy burdens for everyone around them, building walls around their financial and cultural successes that were impossible for women and brown and black people to penetrate, even though the narrative they were selling was mostly ours. Costa Rica was not full of people pretending they were happy, opening restaurant after restaurant, each one more soulless than the last, to prove their value to their investors. There was no one trying to play out some rock god fantasy of immortality or running away from their demons, which probably all came in the form of insecurity and ego and greed, backed by restaurant groups, helmed by wealthy board members, all voting for you to make more money, to reach a steeper bottom line, to worry less about community, unless it pays, less about quality, unless it pays, less about hospitality, unless it pays, and in all the ways, no worry less, to worry less about the quality of life for your workers, heartbreakingly, unless it pays. I tolerated all the times I was told to wait to make a better living, wait to be supported, wait to be promoted, and wait to make a fair wage. After too many months, years of doing favors and being a team player, I was always willing to take a chance to dive in and prove my worth, but it was never met with equity. It was only met with a gaze that told me I should feel lucky just to be there. So that, that resonated with me because I think we see this and we're seeing the breakdown of this in our current world. The pandemic has shown us people are not here to be cogs in your, in your little wheel or in your machine. Uh, human capital 
is the one thing that makes everything else happen. And we have got to care more for each other, uh, more than just what we bring financially to a table. And this idea of investors just wanting more in the bottom line, I mean, that's not just in medicine. We see that everywhere, everywhere. Education. You know, I went to a university that won't pay, <laughs> won't pay the dining room workers a living wage. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I pay you lots of money to get a meal plan, and you can't pay the people who cook the food and, like, take care and feed the students a living wage when thousands of dollars per how many thousands of students come to this place? I mean, do you need to be, like, publicly shamed? Because that's just the right thing to do. And how do we decide what work has more value? Like, I don't... Our worlds don't work if we don't have people doing the things that make the business of the world work. Like, I can't see patients in a room if I don't have environmental services to clean that room and take pride in the cleaning of that room so that I can then see a patient in it. And, like, that environmental worker deserves benefits and a living wage. I, it's, it's just astounding to me. Uh, so then another quote that she talks about, and this is another theme, is this um, discomfort with wealth uh, and what it means to always kind of just be just trying to to, to make ends meet. Um, let me see if I can find a good a good part here. Oh yes, the beauty the beauty of um, of what it meant for people to look out for each other. Oh, yes, here we are. Okay. Poverty and inequality breed an unsettled nature in a person, and they breed something very dangerous and insidious in the powerful men who write the contracts with biases that they will never admit they have as they continue to decide how this world gets to go. You can't be accused of sexism or racism if you hire the person, right? Even if you create conditions wherein a person's work ethic and survivability are on the line. And then you can do it over and over again, showing how you gave women and black people a chance. And it wasn't your fault they couldn't hack it, so that your rooms are eventually filled only with men. Men you paid very well out of the gate and gave every advantage to. Men just like you, whom you actually value, whom you give every perk to without their asking. Men who don't threaten your place in the world. Men who give you enough of a sense of well-being and safety. For all that fragile stuff you will never admit you wake up in a cold sweat to every night. And, you know, that is, here we are, like this kind of capitalist system of, um, of not a meritocracy and of, of nepotism, honestly, and, and baked in inequity where, you know, women make less than men and women of color make less than white women and we could go on and on in the ways in which um, what, what we do is not valued to the same degree. And how you have to jump over extra you know, hurdles just to, just to prove your very existence is worth being there. And how exhausting that becomes. How somehow you start, to, you start to wonder if the thing that you actually loved is worth doing because it hurts so much to do it. And so that is, that's the question that 
Lisa Donovan poses is, you know, when you love something, but the labor of it seems to be such an uphill battle. How do you make peace with doing what you were made to do and be able to do it in a way that doesn't break your heart? So I highly recommend Our Lady Perpetual Hunger. And like I said, I really hope my paths cross with Lisa at some point. I hope you all have a great week. I don't have too much else I've been doing right now. I've just been nose to the grindstone. So that's it for this time. Be well, and this was Brip, the petite polymath. Y'all take care.